Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Last Sunday was our Vision Sunday, and I started a series called Make a Difference. And if you've been around here for any period of time, you know that Make a Difference is one of our three vision statements. At the Life Church, we love God, we love people, and we want to make a difference with our lives. And so last Sunday, I talked about how one way that we can make a difference is by following Jesus' example. He came not to be served, but he came to serve. And so by us serving, we can make a difference in the lives of others. We can, we can bring a lunch, right? We can give somebody a ride. Yeah, we can, we can pick up a towel and serve. So those were some examples. Don't think that you can't serve in the kingdom of God. Don't think that only those with certain talents and gifts and abilities can serve, and you cannot. No, there's something you can do. There were people around here cooking yesterday, cooking for people who were sick, cooking for people who've recently lost loved ones. And you know what? They were using their gifts. They were using their skills to bless somebody else so we can all serve and make a difference in the kingdom of God. Last Sunday, I also talked about how we live in a very self-focused, a very self-centered, self-promoting and selfish society and how that differs from how we are called to live as followers of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 20, excuse me, Matthew 16, 24. We can put that on the screen. It says, if, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, not, not promote himself, not think of himself, not elevate self, but let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what Jesus said that you and I ought to do. That's how we ought to live. In other words, when you become a Christian, when you become a Christ follower, it's no longer only about you. Life ceases to revolve around you. When we become disciples of Jesus, it becomes about what he wants. It becomes about what he loves. And does anybody know what he loves? He loves people. He loves others. He loves souls. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. So if we say we care about what he cares about, we've got to care about others. We've got to care about those who are lost. We've got to care about, yes, those who are in the room, but we've also got to care about those who are not in the room. Can somebody say amen? So before we go to the passage that will set up what I want to talk to you about today, let me give you some context to this passage. Jesus had been training and he had been investing in his disciples, uh, his 12 disciples for about three years. And in this time period, in these three years, Jesus is pouring into them and he's teaching him uh, his ways and he's investing his kingdom, which is the spiritual kingdom. He was investing his kingdom into their hands, knowing that there was coming a time where he wasn't going to be around any longer and they were going to carry it forward. And so in this, in this time of three years that Jesus was spending with the disciples every now and then, he, he'd tell them that the reason that he was doing what he was because, was because one day he was going to die. 
He would just kind of drop that in from time to time. He he let them know, one day I'm going to give my life. I'm here once again to to serve and not be served. And and, and he said that in three days that he was going to resurrect from the dead. He said, tear down this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Does anybody remember that? But the disciples had a really difficult time with this concept because they didn't really understand the whole context of what Jesus was going to do like we do today. So they never really embraced that death part of it. They were excited about the kingdom part of it. As a matter of fact, they they continued to confuse the fact that Jesus' kingdom was going to be a spiritual kingdom. They wanted an earthly kingdom. They wanted him to come in and overthrow the Romans. They, they never really got it fully, even, even though he told them over and over again, the Son of Man must die. I've come to die for the sins of the world. He said, I've come to give my life as a ransom. He said, guys, I've got to die so that forgiveness of sins can come. He said that was why he came in the first place, but they didn't receive it. They didn't grasp it. They didn't believe it. Peter, we find, even rebuked Jesus when he began to talk about dying. And that's when Jesus called him Satan, right? He said, get behind me, Satan. That's that's my purpose. That's why I'm here. I've come to die. So in this time period, Jesus talked about it. But fast forward to the the end, it, it, it happened. It took place just like Jesus told the disciples that it would. He was arrested in the garden. He was falsely accused. He was beaten and crucified. He's, he laid down his life as the Lamb of God. And so three days later, Jesus had been preparing the disciples. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again. Uh, I'm not going to stay dead. So three days later, three days after Jesus had been crucified on that cross, what do you think the disciples we're doing. Do you think in that time period, from the time Jesus died, do you think that they were out preaching crusades and telling everyone that, hey, Jesus is getting ready to come back to life? He's been telling us this for three years now, so why don't we all just go wait around the tomb? Jesus is getting ready to show up. Do, do you think that they were holding vigils 24-7 around the tomb just waiting for that stone to move? Do you think that in that time period, they were telling everyone what Jesus had told him? Hey, this is all going according to plan. This is what Jesus had been telling us. He told us that he came to die. He told us that he was going to be crucified. He told us that he was going to raise again. Now all we have to do is wait three days and boom, poof. He's going to come back. No, that's not what they were doing, was it? Not at all. As a matter of fact, we can read about This and what they were doing in John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, then the same evening, that's Sunday, Sunday evening being the first day of the week. So here we are three days later, it's Sunday, it's resurrection day. And and when the doors were shut, the disciples are here, they're behind closed doors where the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. Why? Why were they behind closed doors? Because they were fearful of the Jews. So get the picture. Jesus is dead. Jesus is getting ready to emerge from the tomb. And rather than the disciples being excited and holding on to what he said, they were cowering in fear. 
They were fearful. They were afraid. They were behind locked doors. They're behind closed doors. They weren't believing. They were fearing for their lives. But all it took, church, was one pivotal moment to change all of that. One single moment transformed the disciples from being timid and afraid, and it transformed them into being bold and courageous witnesses for Jesus. Let's look back at that verse, verse 19 of John 20. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, and then suddenly the the, the man that they saw three days earlier, the man that was put in a tomb, the man that was put to death, suddenly Jesus came. We don't know how he came. The doors were shut. He just came through the walls. He just appeared. Jesus came, and he stood in the midst, and he said to them, peace be with you. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus all of a sudden materialized out of thin air, I'd want him to say, peace, it's all good. Hang on there, don't... Don't don't pass out. Don't faint on me. Peace, it's all good. But church, it was in that moment that these men went from living selfish and timid and fearful lives to making a difference with their lives. It was in that moment that they became bold because of what they witnessed, because of what they experienced. It was in that moment that they became courageous witnesses for the Lord. Let me kind of rewind just for you real quick. One minute, they were hiding behind closed doors, and the next minute, they were out preaching boldly. One minute, Peter was such a coward that he told a little girl, I don't know the man. And then the next minute, he was standing up with the 11 on the day of Pentecost, and he was preaching, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. One minute they were hiding, and the next minute you couldn't shut them up talking about Jesus. Even though the religious leaders arrested them, even though they began to be persecuted, even though they were put in jail, they kept on preaching anyway. They went from being fearful to being bold. Then in Acts 4, the high priest Annas, he asked them in verse number 7, he said, by what power, uh, by what name do, do, have you done what you, what you did? And then we see Peter, who was previously fearfully hiding behind closed doors, the man who had recently denied even knowing Jesus. Here's what Peter said in verse number 8 of Acts chapter 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, he said, hey, this guy was just healed. How did we do it? I'm going to tell you how we did it. By what means he was made well. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. How's that for boldness? The man you put to death. It's his power. It's by his name. It's by his authority that this man was healed, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands before you whole. 
He went from hiding to being bold. What a transformation. Church, what had happened? Well, we know one thing that had happened. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. You shall receive power, the Bible says, when you receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 8 says, Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. I want you to know today the Holy Ghost makes a difference. I said the Holy Ghost makes a difference. Why wouldn't you want the Spirit of God living inside of you? Why wouldn't you want the Spirit of God dwelling in your heart? So when he one thing, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. But let me tell you something else that had happened. The tomb was empty. We've been singing about it today, Sister Kristen. Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. And, we, and Peter witnessed that. He witnessed that, hey, I saw him die. I saw the, the cross. I, I saw the crucifixion. I saw him, then, then put him in a tomb. I saw him die, but he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he's risen. Peter witnessed that. Peter experienced that. And because of that, a man who was previously fearful and timid was now bold and courageous in its faith. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, what the apostle Peter experienced personally enabled him to speak boldly. Because Peter experienced the resurrection of Jesus, everything changed. As a matter of fact, he said, you know what, religious leaders, a, a high priest, you can threaten me, you can throw me in prison, but you're not going to stop me from telling the good news about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I will not stop for you. I will not stop for anyone else. I'm going to preach and proclaim the name of Jesus. He had an experience. And because he had an experience, he spoke boldly. I want you to think about what we, what we speak boldly about. I mean, we speak boldly about what we, we personally experienced, right? If you go to a great restaurant, what do you do? You tell everybody about it. This hole in the wall, let me tell you, you got to go. It is so good. Don't, don't judge it by the outside, but go and you got to check it out and you got to order the number 10. Right? When we have a good experience, we go and we share it. We tell somebody about it. If you find a good deal on eggs, you get on Facebook and you let them know, this grocery store has eggs for $10.99 a dozen. And that's good. Whoever thought we'd say that. I was with a group of pastor friends this week, and let me tell you, a couple of them were Lululemon evangelists. Lululemon, that's a type of clothing, if you don't know. I mean, these guys were sharing all of this amazing stuff about these pants and these hoodies and these vests, and they couldn't say enough, and this is the most comfortable thing I've ever worn. We started calling them the Lulu boys. But we speak boldly about what we've personally experienced. When you, when you have a good experience, when you have an encounter, when you discover something, you can't keep it to yourself. You got to share it. 
you got to let somebody else know. And church, listen, if we aren't doing the same thing about our faith in Jesus, what does that say about our experience? Come on, has God touched anybody here today? Has he saved your soul? Has he made you whole? Has he been faithful to you? Has he been good to you? Has he been true to his word? Oh, has anybody here today had a personal experience, a personal encounter with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Oh, hallelujah, if you had, we got to share it. We got to tell it. We got to pass it on. Oh, clap your hands to the Lord. In Acts 4, verse 12, Peter said, Nor is there salvation in any other, talking about the name of Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Verse 13, now when they saw what? When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived these guys are uneducated, they're untrained, they're ordinary, they're average. The high priests and the council, when they saw Peter and John and their boldness, listen, they marveled. They marveled at their boldness. They, they were amazed. They were blown away by what they were witnessing. The Bible says they marveled at these men and they realized they'd been with Jesus. I wonder today, has anyone ever marveled at your boldness for Jesus? Has anyone, anyone ever been amazed at your boldness for Jesus? Has anyone ever been blown away by your faith in God? Have you ever prayed for somebody at your office? Have you ever taught somebody a Bible study? Has anybody, have you, have you ever invited anybody to church? Do, do, you, do your coworkers know that you're even a Christian? Do your coworkers know that you're a spirit-filled believer? Listen, the religious leaders, the Bible says they marveled at Peter and John's boldness for Jesus. But has anyone been amazed by our boldness? Church, let me remind you, we are called to go into all the world, and we are called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not talking about a vocation. That's not talking about a ministry title. That's talking to all of us as believers. If you've had a personal encounter with God, if you've had a personal experience, you've got to share it. You need to speak it. You need to pass it on to somebody else. Listen, we are called to be salt and light. That is our calling. It's not a suggestion. It's a calling. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So how do we become bold in our faith? How do we make a difference with our lives? I want to give you two simple thoughts from Acts chapter 4. We can put this on the screen. The first way is by simply spending more time with Jesus. The way we spend more time with Jesus is by getting, getting into his word. It's how you spend time with him. That, that's his word for you. Some of us are seeking a word, and we want it to come through the prophetic. We want it to come through a, someone in the church, this sister, that brother. All the while, his word is there waiting on you. His word is alive and it's powerful and you need to spend some time with it. 
If you want to be bold in your relationship with him, if you want to be bold at your job for, for, for Jesus, you need to spend time with him through his word. Amen. Another way you can spend time with him is by praying. It's by, by lingering in his presence. You need to learn to listen for the voice of God and not just let him hear your voice. When we spend time with Jesus, I want you to know today that our boldness quotient increases. Can somebody say amen? You know what I'm talking about? You wake up and you, you read the Bible. You do a devotion. You spend some time with the Lord. What happens? You go through that day with your head held a little bit higher. You walk into the office with purpose. You walk into the office and, hey, you know what? I'm on the lookout for somebody to minister to. I'm on the lookout for somebody to help today. Why? Because you spent time with Jesus. Let's go back to verse 13 of Acts 4. It says, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, they marveled. And this is what they concluded was the reason for their boldness. They realized they'd been with Jesus. So when you start your day off in the Word, when you take some time to pray, when you begin to care about what He cares about, and when you begin to love what Jesus loves, then, then you begin to serve the way that He served, and His Spirit fills you and empowers you, and His Word leads you and directs you. Listen, you are better, and you are bolder, and you are more apt to make a difference in somebody else's life, all because you've been with Jesus just what happens. It's just how it is. You don't spend time with Jesus. You don't come into the presence of Jesus and not be changed. They marveled, the Bible says, at their boldness. And it was because of some average, some ordinary, some uneducated people had been with Jesus. That was the difference. The second thing that we can glean from Acts 4 is that we need to ask God to make us bold. Spend time with Jesus and then ask him to make you bold. Listen, church, this is a prayer that I believe that if you'll pray it, God wants to answer it. If you've got some other prayers that you're praying and they're not getting answered, why don't you try this one? Because I believe God wants to answer this prayer for you. Lord, Lord, make me, make me bold for you so I can make a difference in the world around me. God, give me boldness as I go through this day. Give me boldness so I'll share your goodness with others. Listen, if that's not a prayer that you're currently praying, let me encourage you to adopt that prayer. Make me bold, God. I don't want to be timid. I don't want to be fearful. I don't want to worry about rejection. I don't want to worry about whether I'm going to offend somebody or not. No, just make me bold and use me for your namesake. Use me for your kingdom. Because I believe that if you'll ask God to use you, if you'll ask him to make you bold, if you'll ask him to help you make a difference with your life, you better watch out. Because he's going to answer that prayer. In Acts 4, this is what happened. The religious leaders continued to threaten the disciples. They, they were going to throw, throw them in jail. And, you know, I mean, when we, we read about that, it's so easy just to read and move on. But can, can you imagine being thrown in jail for what you believe? When you, when you really stop to pause and, and consider the context here, this is what they were facing. They weren't facing rejection. They weren't facing ridicule. They weren't facing somebody looking at them saying, you know what, no, I'm not interested in your Jesus. They were risking being thrown in jail. They were risking, risking losing their lives over their faith. Can you imagine that? 
because that was their reality. Not only was that their reality, but that's the reality of thousands of people right now in other countries around the world. We've got it good, church. We live in the United States of America. We have the freedom of worship. We are blessed with that. But there's so many others who are not. What if that was happening to us? Would we be scared? Would we be afraid? Would we hide behind closed doors like the disciples did before the resurrection? What what would we pray for if we were being persecuted? What would we pray for if we thought we were going to get thrown in prison because of our faith? Oh, God, please keep me safe today. Oh, God, please please keep your hand on my family today. Don't, Don't let anybody discover that I'm a believer. Don't let me be found out. That's probably what we would pray. But I want you to watch what the disciples, under the potential threat of death, I want you to watch what they prayed for in verse 29 of Acts 4. It says this, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word. They didn't pray, Lord, keep us safe. They didn't pray, Lord, protect us today. No, they prayed, make us bold. Give us boldness. Even though we're being persecuted, even though we're being threatened, God, make us even more bold than what we've been in the past. Make us bold in what we do. You see, church, when you spend time with Jesus, you're going to grow in boldness. And when you ask God for boldness, it's a prayer that he delights in answering. And when we are bold, we will make a difference in the lives of others. Hallelujah. I want to remind you of something here today. I'm not going to be much longer, but when this life is over, people are going to live in eternity somewhere. We, we get so focused on the here and now and what's going on today and what we've got planned this afternoon, what's coming up this week, but eternity is waiting, church. And everyone on the face of this planet, they're going to they're gonna spend eternity somewhere. They will either live in the presence of God in heaven or they will experience the horror and the eternal damnation of hell. Listen, I, I don't preach a lot of hell, fire, and brimstone around here. I try to compel people to live for Jesus through love rather than by, by trying to scare them to him by fear. But I'm not going to withhold the fact there is a place. There's a place where the worm dies not. There's a place where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a place of eternal damnation. There's a place of torment. There's a place that is called outer darkness. It's a place of sorrow. It's a place of indescribable suffering that happens day and night, day and night, day and night. For eternity, it's a place called hell. I don't want you to go there. And I don't want anybody else out there to go there either. Listen, words cannot adequately convey the horror and the anguish of hell. And church, that ought to motivate us. That ought to motivate motivate us to push past our fear, to push past our timidity, to push past our anxiety, to share the love of Jesus Christ with somebody. Because there is a place called hell. 
The word of God says that we need to do everything we can to pull them out of the fire. We shouldn't be content to just watch people go down this dead end, to watch people travel this road, travel this path to destruction. We, we, we sh- that should bother us. That, that should concern us. There's a place, a real place called hell. But just as there's a place called hell, there's another place called heaven. And I want you to go there. And I want people out there to go there. And in the same way that words cannot adequately convey the glory and the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of that eternal dwelling place of God and his people. Listen, there's a place. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 9. He said, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man. Other translators say it like this. It's beyond imagination. It's beyond imaginations, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is so incredible, we can't even dream it up. We can't even begin to to explain it. It's so amazing. It's so glorious. The apostle John described a vision of heaven that is displayed in Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Here's what he said. I saw a new heaven and I saw a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, that's heaven, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God in God well what's he going to do look at verse 4 what's he going to do he will wipe away every tear from their eyes There's not going to be any more death, nor will there be any more sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Death and pain, they're done away forever. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. He said to me, It's done. It's finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts, he who overcomes. Does anybody want to overcome this world today? Does anybody want to make it all the way through to heaven today? He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Oh, does anybody want to go to heaven? Does anybody want to see that place? Does anybody believe heaven is real? Does anybody believe that the Lord has gone away to prepare a place that where he is we may be also? Does anybody want to go to that city where the lamb is the light? Oh, hallelujah. We ought to let our belief about hell and our belief about heaven cause us to be bold in our faith. Come on, if we believe what we say we believe, shouldn't we want somebody else to go there? 
Come on, if we, if we really believe that, that it's going to be worth it all, that we're going to walk on gates, uh, streets of gold, that we're going to see those gates of pearl, that we're going to live in this great big house of God, shouldn't we tell others about it? We shouldn't keep it to ourselves. The Bible analogies, you don't take a candle and put it under a bushel. You don't hide it, you share it. So let me bring it to where we are today. Let me ask, is there anyone living for God today because of you? Is there anyone who was lost and has found salvation because of your witness? Is there anybody that you're currently praying for? You're praying for their soul. Is there anybody that you're currently working with? You're building that relationship and you're just praying, God, give me the right time. Is there anybody on your radar right now who is lost and you're doing whatever it takes to connect them to Jesus? I want you to know if your answer is no, I'm not here to condemn you. It's not too late. I'm not here to condemn you, but I am here to awaken you. And I'm here to challenge you today. It's not too late right now, but one day, one day it will be. I'm here to encourage you. Listen, there are people in your life who don't know the love of Jesus, and you need to overcome your fear. You need to share your faith in boldness. Yes, one day it'll be too late. One day you won't have that chance any longer. One day the trumpet's going to sound. Just, just like it was in the days of Noah. There came a time where the door, the door of the ark was shut. Nobody else could get in. But right now the door of the ark is open. The door's open. So we can be telling our friends, we can be telling our coworkers, hey, come on. Come on, get in this life-saving vessel. Come on, get, get in the ark. Get in the church. Come have a relationship with God. Come and save yourself from this untoward generation. One day it'll be too late. So rather than hiding in fear behind closed doors, like the disciples did, instead of wondering, what if I don't have the right words to say? Instead of wondering, what if I don't know enough? Instead of wondering, what if they don't want to hear what I've got to say? What if they reject me? Maybe the question we ought to be asking or asking ourselves is, what if I don't share? What if I don't tell them? So today, if fear is keeping you from making a difference in the lives of others, let me remind you that all it took for the disciples to move from fear to boldness was the realization that they served a risen Savior. All it took for them to, to move from timid to courageous was a personal, life-changing experience. And everything shifted. Everything changed. So I want you to know today, the tomb's empty. It's a well-established fact. It's a historical fact. The tomb is empty. 
Jesus is alive. He conquered death. And instead of being afraid, afraid today, instead of being fearful, you can be filled. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost, just like the Apostle Peter and 3,000 others on the day of Pentecost. And just like they became bold and courageous in their faith, we can become bold and courageous as well. Would you stand with me right now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite everybody to have a personal encounter with God today. I'm going to invite everybody to have a personal encounter, a personal experience with the Lord that will leave you changed so you can leave this place emboldened, so you can leave this place and be the witness that God has called each and every one of us to be. So maybe in order for that to happen, you just need to do what I preached about. You need to spend some time with Jesus. This altar's open right now. This altar area on the front is open right now. If you just want to spend some time with you, how do you get bold? Spend time with him. Spend some time in his presence. Spend some time talking to him. Maybe for you today, you've been in his presence, but you've not been praying for him to make you bold. Would you come? Would you step out? Would you come to this altar today and make that your prayer, God? I want to be bold. I don't want to be bound by fear any longer. Lord, I don't want to hide behind closed doors, but I want to share my light. I want to share your love. I want to be a witness for you. Come on, if that's your desire, if you don't have a love for lost souls, then why don't you pray about that? God, stir me. God, stir me. Lay a burden on my heart. Don't let me be content to watch people plummet into hell. Oh, God, burden me today. Let me see. Let me understand. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.